Well, today I have uh, Rishi Gupta, who has an Editor's Choice um, article that is going to be published in the March issue of uh, JNIS. The article is um, Endovascular Reperfusion and Cooling in Cerebral Acute Ischemia, or the Reclaim 1 trial. And Rishi is currently a neurointerventionist and a stroke neurologist in the Wellstar Health System in Marietta, Georgia. Rishi, uh, I really appreciate you spending time to talk to me this morning. Thank you so much. Can you briefly talk to me about the design and, and results of your study? Sure. Reclaim was a preliminary study, a phase one study, to investigate the use of hypothermia after endovascular reperfusion therapy in acute ischemic stroke. The hypothesis was that after we perform reperfusion, there's reperfusion injury can occur in the brain, and we felt that the use of hypothermia may be sort of a, a neuroprotectant modality to prevent reperfusion injury going forward. Okay. Um, so our, our, we, we started with a 20-patient population of very sick patients as our, as our study population. And so th this model of hypothermia has been uh, used for other cerebral insults, correct? That's correct. Unfortunately, there have been other trials like uh, Kool-Aid, and the ICTIS trial that have tried to look at hypothermia and stroke, and thus far, there has not been any success in showing improved outcomes. We felt that one of the challenges is that the models people are using does not ensure reperfusion, uh, particularly when patients are getting IVTPA. It's not clear that everybody has successful reperfusion after thrombolysis, okay. whereas with endovascular, you're more more likely to get reperfusion, and we thought this mimics more the uh, ischemia reperfusion model of cardiac arrest, even mm -hmm. though that's a global model. Um, we felt that at least in those cases, everybody was reperfused. And so we sort of modeled this in a similar vein to cardiac arrest. And so what results did you have in this phase one trial? So we took a, a very sick population, patients with greater than one-third to half of the MCA territory already infarcted prior to reperfusion. And our, our anticipation was that those patients don't do well um, based on our own historical controls as well as other mm -hmm. studies that have been performed. To our surprise, what we found is that those patients in whom we did this, we were able to achieve a good outcome in a substantially large number of patients, which is 30%, which oh. is a modified ranking of zero to two and the hemorrhage rates were low. Okay. I noticed you, you, you used the Quattro system uh, for the cooling. Obviously, there have been several uh, cooling methods that have been described previously. What do you find is the advantage or, or potential disadvantages of using the Quattro system? The advantage is that um, the Quattro system is put in the femoral vein, and at the time of endovascular therapy, um, the groin has already been prepped. So we would place the catheter in the groin right after the procedure. So we felt that it was just technically easier because we were already sort of in a sterile field. The other advantage is that the rapidness of achieving hypothermia occurs within 30 to 40 minutes with, the, with this technology. The disadvantage is that it is an additional invasive procedure. Um, there are surface cooling techniques that do exist. 
in our philosophy, we felt that it would be better to err on the side of rapid hypothermia as mm -hmm. opposed to delayed hypothermia. We were worried that with the surface cooling technologies, it would take much longer to achieve successful hypothermia. Okay. Initially, during the intraarterial um, thrombectomy portion of the procedure, um, used external cooling, uh, but then switched over to the quattro system. Was there a reason that you did that, or would there be, you know, advantages of, you know, if you were going to use the quattro system anyway to start it at at the beginning of the um, reperfusion um, therapy? That's a great question. We we actually purposely designed the trial to start cooling after reperfusion. And and the reason for that was we wanted to ensure that the patient did not have a hemorrhage from the procedure before we started cooling. We wanted to make sure that cooling wasn't dinged for the hemorrhages because this was just a prelim study. So we wanted mm -hmm. to ensure like a very homogenous group of people. So what would happen is we would achieve reperfusion, get an expert CT on the table. If there was no hemorrhage, then we would start cooling the patient right away. If hemorrhages occurred later, we, we could uh -huh. blame probably the, the, the cooling technology. Can you talk a little bit about how you chose the parameters of cooling? Sure. Um, so a lot of the data for cooling varies in terms of how deep of hypothermia you want to place patients as well as mm -hmm. the duration. There's a lot of debate. We we chose sort of the, the moderate hypothermia of 33 degrees and... Okay chose 12 hours because we thought it's very challenging to keep people cool for 24 hours. We sort of chose the middle ground of 33 and 12 based on the cardiac arrest literature. You know, there is no right or wrong as to 12 versus 24 hours. We just felt that one of the challenges is the, these patients are at a higher risk for cerebral edema. And if we cool them for 24 hours and then started uh, rewarming them, we were worried about rebound cerebral edema kind of at the peak phase, a peak phase of their injury. Fortunately, we didn't run into that problem with, with this trial, but it is a concern if we do longer cooling. So other than the, the rebound edema, are there any other um, complications that can occur that you saw with, with, with the cooling itself? Yeah, um, there are other mild things such as um, bradycardia, as well as coagulopathies and electrolyte disturbances, particularly hypokalemia that can lead to ectopy. So most of the complications are surrounding the heart and cardiac issues. So, And then lastly, shivering, which um, can always be a problem when you cool patients. Can you talk a little bit about how, how you um, what you found an effective way to deal with the problem of shivering? We put uh, warming blankets on the backside and the front side of the patient. So we did counter rewarming on the on the surface, so the skin was warm, whereas the body internally, the core temperature was cold. So we found that if you wrap patients in warming blankets on the back and the front, just that simple maneuver reduces shivering significantly. And then we used um, the typical agents like Buspar, and the other drug we used a lot of was Presidex, which we found really worked for um, anti-shivering maneuvers and allowed the patient to stay awake without sort of knocking them out. One of your parameters for assessing um, reperfusion imaging was termed a harm protocol, MRI protocol. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. We were hoping that if we could find a physiologic uh, tool to support sort of the mechanism of why hypothermia may be a, a treatment 
or a neuroprotective treatment for, for stroke. So we we're interested in two different things. One is biomarkers, and in this study we didn't use those biomarkers, but there's a there's a potent biomarker called F2 isoprostane, which mm -hmm. really looks at the blood-brain barrier um, and tells you if there's been breakdown. And the mm -hmm. second is the harm protocol MRI. Steve Warwick and others have, have looked at this with IV TPA um, and have shown that it may be a marker of patients at risk for bleeding or hemorrhagic transformation. What we were hoping to do was, you know, in this pilot study, see if we could get a sense of what the rate of harm harm MRI was or harm rates mm -hmm. of positive were so that when we plan for the phase two trial, we would be able to to sort that out. What we found is three out of 14, six patients were unable to get an MRI because they passed away. Out of the 14, three of them had evidence of harm positivity. And the harm positivity is what again? It's where gadolinium leaks into the across the blood-brain barrier, and you can see contrast leaking into the infarct. Okay, okay. So you mentioned phase two trials. What do you think is the next step in this research? Yeah, so we've planned um, this uh, within the next uh, three months. We're hoping to get phase two off the ground, and it's a randomized trial. 80 patients, 40 will be in the normothermia arm, and mm -hmm. 40 will be in the hypothermia arm. In this trial, we'll initiate hypothermia immediately prior to reperfusion. So we'll do this ASAP um, in the cath lab. The, the cooling will be started right away, and there'll be one-to-one -one randomization between normal thermia and hypothermia. One of the concerns that came out of this paper was we took the big big strokes, like the aspects mm -hmm. 5 to 7. So in phase 2, we'll look at all comers, like aspects 5 oh. to 10. Um, so we'll look at the small pre-treatment infarcts also if there's a benefit in, in in that group also. I think there's concern that the patients who have smaller injuries, they may be at a lower risk for reperfusion harm. But anecdotally, we've noticed um, anybody can get reperfusion injury. So we, we feel that we should be trying to protect the brain as much as possible. And secondly, I think it's important that one of the challenges of hypothermia is people are trying to initiate it to protect from ischemic injury. And our hypothesis is that we're trying to protect from reperfusion injury, so we can actually start the treatment before reperfusion occurs. That gives us hope that we may be able to protect the brain before reperfusion. Well, that's great. It sounds exciting. I mean, this seems like promising pilot uh, data, and I wish you luck in the um, phase two trial. Thank you. <laughs>